Hello, and welcome back to IDG's Ahead of the Pack podcast, brought to you by AWS. Enterprises are looking for ways to capitalize on data to accelerate their business agility. Innovations in cloud, artificial intelligence, and machine learning provide tools and methods that address these opportunities and challenges. Ahead of the Pack is a series of podcasts with leading thought leaders who will share their experience on how enterprises are leveraging these tools and the outcomes they're achieving. I'm Tim Crawford, CIO and Strategic Advisor at Avoa and your host. Today's topic, the ins and outs of democratization of data. Our guest today is Ishit Vashrajani, the Enterprise Strategist with AWS. Welcome, Ishit. Hey, thank you, Tim, for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm really glad that you are taking part in this discussion today. Maybe we could start off by having you just spend a minute or two talking about your role at AWS. Sure. Yep. Sounds good. So um, I'm an enterprise strategist uh, with AWS. Uh, I'm part of a team of former customer CXOs uh, from large enterprises uh, who have led transformation of our businesses using AWS Cloud. Uh, So before I joined AWS, I was the global CTO for the media company, uh, A&E Networks, based out of New York City. And we now help uh, executives from other large companies uh, as they go through their uh, transformation journey. That's great. And before we kind of delve into the ins and outs of democratization of data, we actually need to talk a little bit about data literacy. And when I speak to other CIOs, understanding data is a real challenge both inside and outside of IT. What is your perspective on data literacy within the enterprise? Yeah, so education uh, and understanding is is such a critical part uh, of becoming data-driven. And you're you're right that uh, it is a big area of challenge, but it's also very, very important. Um, I actually prefer the term data proficiency uh, or data literacy. Uh, And that's just because it's not just about being data aware or being data informed. Uh, but really developing proficiency to put that data to use, right, and do that at scale. Um, and and in my mind, that proficiency development uh, applies to everyone in the company, um, starting with the executive C-suite. Uh, in fact, you know, one could argue that it's even more important uh, that it starts there. Um, and then it should go beyond sort of the roles that traditionally deal with data uh, to everyone, and we see we see many customers uh, finding creative, fun ways uh, to educate and train uh, everyone at scale. Right? People use public data set, right? Census, traffic, parking data to create fun data hackathons. Um, we have companies like Morningstar uh, using uh, AWS Deep Racer Lake, for example, which is a if you don't know, which is a miniature, fully autonomous reinforcement learning-based car, uh, and companies organize these leagues uh, to train people on the concept of reinforcement learning and machine learning. So there are a lot of fun, creative ways uh, to create the data education and data proficiency uh, within the enterprise at scale. Hmm. Now, that's great. But as I kind of walk through that a little bit, you know, once we understand the challenges around data proficiency, and I'll use that term instead of literacy, um, we move to the next challenge, which is where do I get started? And, you know, as a CIO, this can be really overwhelming uh, on top of everything else that I'm concerned with and having to contend with. 
where do we start? Sure, yes. I mean, CIO's job uh, is definitely not easy. Um, I think, uh, in my mind, taking the first step uh, is really half the journey, right? Um, and uh, it really comes down to not being stuck uh, or overwhelmed by just the scale of opportunity that data presents um, to the enterprises. So um, I, if I were to sort of give you a few key things that uh, I advise customers as they are starting with their data journey. Uh, number one is uh, having a single-threaded leader. Uh, and what I mean by that is someone who is senior, empowered, and well-respected across the business. But they really wake up with that one goal to drive data-driven transformation. Uh, so having that single-threaded leader, especially when you're starting your journey, is crucial. Uh, the second thing is often companies start uh, data forward, right? That means we have a bunch of data, let's collect it, hoard it, and then we'll figure out what to do with it. Uh, I recommend starting customer or business backward. So really identify an important business opportunity or an area, uh, build a very strong hypothesis around it, uh, define uh, some measure of success as to how you're going to test that experiment, uh, and then start bringing some data, put it in cloud, run quick analytics and some experiment, and test and iterate and see if it is actually yielding uh, the results that you were expecting, uh, and then continue to scale it out. Right? And there are many customers that follow this approach uh, as they start out their journey. Uh, one that comes to my mind is... Uh, uh, Avis, the car rental company, what they wanted to do was uh, improve the car rental experience, but also at the same time optimize the mileage for their fleet. Right. So now these are sort of balancing two goals, improving customer experience, but also improving efficiency. Uh, and they have a ton of data, right? data from cars, uh, internal systems, external systems, and they had some hypotheses. So what they did was uh, they ran a small pilot at Newark Airport. Uh, they identified some of the key data attributes that they thought should go into it, like make, model, uh, mileage uh, of the car. Uh, and they ran quick regression analysis to prove out if this model would work. Uh, and when, once they got some results to tune that model, they then used things like uh, Amazon Kinesis to stream this data and build machine learning model uh, to optimize this process using data to improve both customer experience as well as uh, fleet management. So it really starts with finding an opportunity in the business, running some experiment, collecting some data, and then incrementally building and iterating on top of that. And that's, that's interesting because as we go through and think about um, how data moves within an organization, how does that apply into an example like this? Yeah, I think the how data moves through the org is, uh, tells you a lot, right? It tells you a lot about uh, what kind of gating and governance controls you have. And that is another uh, important aspect as we go through data journey is are you designing these as gates, what I like to call it as governing to restrict, uh, rather than guardrails, which basically govern to enable, right? Is the starting hypothesis that data should relatively move freely within the organization. Uh, and the question should be around 
not around why does someone need access to this data, of course, within the boundaries of privacy and compliance and all of that, right? But what what are you trying to do with this data and how can we enable that quickly? So paying attention to the, the resistance and barriers to the movement of data, uh, I think is a good uh, signal for a leader to uh, identify some of those governance issues and, and really figure them out to allow for this transition to happen. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. And when you think about those gating factors, I, you know, one that I think of is the concept of silos. You know, data is sitting in different silos. And there are different silos that we contend with. There's the data silos, but then there's also this, this other issue of cultural silos. And I know from experience, you know, if you need to change culture, it does take a long time to do so. But at the same time, the organization needs to move really quickly to solve some of the business problems that you talk to. Mm-hmm. As a CIO, how do I reconcile these, the challenge of moving quickly, but then also addressing things like cultural silos? Yeah, um, uh, and it's uh, it's interesting you talk about that as sort of a balancing act. Um, I've actually written a couple of blogs on the subject uh, of creating a data-driven culture and then building data capabilities, which which goes into some of these aspects on our uh, uh, AWS Enterprise Strategy blog. But um, I believe that while culture change takes time, right, it is neither a trade-off uh, nor a prerequisite for change, right? It is part of the whole change. So in some ways, it's about uh, building capabilities at the technical uh, and process level that enables you to drive that culture change faster, but then also top-down driving that culture change, which does not stand in the way of you building those capabilities, right? And eliminating silos, uh, especially the data silos that are guarded by these organizational or departmental silos uh, is is a very, very key component of that, right? What I've seen work is, one is uh, really a uh, announcement of a strategic intent, right? That as a company, we're going to treat data uh, as an organizational asset rather than a departmental property. Uh, and then make the guardians of these silos, right? Folks who deeply understand this data, they care for the data quality, uh, the champions. So help use them to drive education, training, uh, show and tell about how to effectively make use of this data. I think that's one big component of breaking down the silo. And then the, and then the second piece is, uh, how do you really enable the frontline action? Right? Because uh, that's when the change will start to kick in and people will see the value of these silos coming down. Example, there is you know, uh, Fortnite, very, very popular game, you know, it's being played by over 250 million players around the world. Uh, wow. Millions of concurrent players. Yes, it's huge. But the way the game works is uh, it's free to play, right? So the revenue comes from the driving engagement of the gamers. Um, and these are very dedicated fans. And what Epic Games, who's the creator of Fortnite, does is that they, they've built the data platform and analytics layer on AWS. where They collect petabytes of data on gamer satisfaction, what action they are taking, the strategies, the weapon, the maps. But then they make that data available to the designers to make changes to the gaming experience using that, to improve that customer engagement. 
So that's a, that's sort of an example of not just amassing vast amount of data and processing it quickly, but then putting it in the hands of people at the front line uh, who can then act on it. That's interesting. That's really, really interesting and a great example. You know, one of the, one of the challenges uh, beyond the cultural norms that I see quite often come up are things, um, well, things like cultural norms and inertia. Um, is it plausible that organizations may get complacent when they're kind of thinking about that uh, risk versus opportunity equation? And I know you, you've had some experience with this in your past and have a great story to tell there. Maybe you could share uh, your experience at A&E. Yeah, sure. Um, I think inertia while driving the change, uh, if starting, a, starting with a change uh, is hard, uh, maintaining that momentum once we start the change uh, is even harder, right? Uh, and leadership uh, has to keep an eye on the inertia. In my experience, uh, you know, there are a couple of ways that I have tried um, that have worked for me in, in keeping this momentum going. One is communicating benefits uh, in simple terms, right? And uh, at any uh, one of the examples uh, that I can give you is we had an application that processed a ton of rating data, uh, research-centric, uh, so pretty compute and storage-intensive app, uh, Costed us thousands of dollars a month to run, and took took a long time uh, for this data to be loaded, processed, and then uh, be made available to folks who needed it. Uh, as going through our journey with uh, be- becoming data driven uh, and our cloud move, uh, we rebuilt that thing using AWS. Uh, we used a lot of sort of serverless uh, products like AWS Lambda and things like that, and the cost came down to four or five dollars uh, a day, right? So that's just wow. order of magnitude different. And more importantly, instead of now processing, taking uh, days, it was minutes or hours uh, before the data was available. Now, how do you communicate something like this to the stakeholder, right? Uh, or how do you celebrate right. this? Uh, so what we did was, we said, you know, this is five bucks a day. This is like a cost of Starbucks Vente. So uh, we actually went out and, you know, basically bought Starbucks Ventes and distributed that and say, look, this takes us um, <laughs> less than a Starbucks Vente to run. And by the way, it takes us less time to get this in your hands than you going down, taking the elevators, uh, uh, and then uh, and then grabbing the Starbucks. Uh, so it's just not only faster, it's cheaper. Right, so that's a right. that's I think one way that that I've seen work. I, I would say the second thing, if I can add there, um, is make it easy and fun to use data. Right. So the other thing that we did was when we built the data platform, we created skills on Amazon Alexa, right, um, which allowed our business users to interact with the data platform, and then we put Amazon Echo speakers on offices. So people can actually ask questions of our data layer, right? That went a long way in making something that was like a science fiction, right? What goes behind the scene, non-tech folks don't really understand nor they should care, right? Uh, To something that is now very approachable, something that you use at your home uh, is now in your office and you can interact with that platform. So I think those are a couple of things that I would say um, 
uh, work well in in overcoming that inertia. No, that's great. And I think the story of using the Starbucks cups and, and being able to go down the elevators and get Starbucks faster than you could through the old process and cheaper, I think it's something that, that everyone can relate to. Um, and like you said, it takes it out of the science fiction role and brings it into a, a sense of reality for folks. So let's maybe shift gears a little bit here and look beyond just leadership and culture and talk a little bit about skills and roles. You know, in addition to the CIO role, we often talk about more data-centric roles or data-specific roles like the CDO or the data scientist. What are the right skills and roles that support the data proficiency? It's a great question, um, and, and I think it's, a, it's an important question, especially because education is such a big part of this. So beyond the obvious skills, right, around uh, data science uh, and analysts, uh, uh, engineering and data visualization skills, um, because uh, as well as storytelling skills, right? Because data is powerful, but stories are memorable, right? And stories drive change. So um, investing in those skill set of being able to take data and then paint a picture, tell a story, uh, really drives change within the company. So I think investing in storytelling skills, uh, visualization tools, uh, I think is very powerful. The second role or skill that I think about is the is sort of the translation layer, right, that connects the art and the science and bridges the gap between the engineers and analysts uh, to, say, a salesperson or an operational uh, business person who is actually using this data. Um, and how do you how do you really bridge that gap and translate uh, between those two is, is I think, a, another crucial role and a skill to have in the R. Uh, and you talked about the, the CDO role. Now, one thing I would say, and we've seen enterprises uh, investing in executive roles like that, and they can certainly accelerate uh, and help. One, one thing to watch out for there, though, is that it shouldn't become the job of someone who has data or analytics in their title. Right. It, it should truly be for everyone. So if they are the single-threaded leader who is helping drive uh, and own that, that's fantastic. Um, but it's also about making sure that it doesn't become a function that now is solely responsible for data and it becomes their job, right, which, which we often see with many, many sort of centralized functions within, within the enterprises. No, that's great. And, you know, as I kind of think about the skills and my organization, you know, one of the aspects from a leadership perspective that I'm also looking at is how to measure success. Um, you know, when we think about data, there, you need to make that connection to certain KPIs. I mean, what, what are the right ways to think about when you think about KPIs? And are there certain KPIs that, that might apply better uh, than others? Uh, sure. So it, I would I sort of look at them in two two buckets, um, right? Rather than going into specific uh, KPIs because they could be different by uh, what you're trying to achieve. But I look at them in two buckets. Um, one is uh, outcome measures, right? What if what if what is that you're trying to achieve? Whether it is increasing revenue, saving money, launching your product faster, reaching more consumers. Uh, improving your customer experience, 
um, as we saw in the case of uh, Avis or, or Fortnite, for example. Um, that's one piece, right? Because your data initiative or your data journey is tied to some of these uh, overarching corporate or outcome measures that you're trying to hit. Um, so keeping an eye on that to see if all of the things that you're doing underneath, whether it is driving culture change, building some capabilities, uh, investing in reskilling and training folks, is it yielding results? So that's one way. The second second sort of big area, which I think is even more important, um, and at Amazon, uh, we like to call them as controllable inputs, right? So these are these are the variables that that we control, right? Outcome is what you're trying to achieve, but then there are controllable inputs that are in that are that are something that you are using to navigate through this journey. And when it comes to data, I mean broadly, I think about uh, speed and agility. Right? So how long does it take for uh, you know very roughly from your production or acquisition of data to consumption of it and everything that happens in between, right? How how fast can you put your data to use and turn it around. That's one. Uh, the second thing is just the variety and the breadth of data that you're putting to use. Uh, so that's sort of second controllable input. The third is around data data quality, right? Defining a very yeah. clear data validation, reconciliation uh, process up front, uh, and then measuring the, the efficiency of that is, is crucial. And then on the people side, um, there are matrix around, you know, training, uh, the usage of data sets, certification. Um, you could even put measures around cross-departmental use of data. So some of the things that, for example, in my experience, we have measured is, let's say data set X was primarily owned by finance, right? We And we were trying to actually make it widespread. What we saw is how many people outside of finance or how many functions outside of finance are actually leveraging that to build analytics. So there are those kind of measures that uh, that you can you can put in as well. And beyond sort of KPIs, I would say uh, keep an eye on uh, anecdotal evidences, right? Uh, so driving this change can get pretty uncomfortable, especially when it's working, uh, and especially when it's it's fairly new, right? Because <laughs> um, data is empowering, right? But it can be pretty emotional. Uh, and so keep an eye on that because I think that's an important indicator that the change is actually happening. Hmm. Now, that's a, that's a great point that some might see as somewhat counterintuitive is to look at those anecdotal um, components that you otherwise may not be paying attention to or, or think are interrelated. Is, is we kind of close on this episode, um, what are the top two things that you would want to ensure stand out from our conversation? There are many different things, many different areas you've covered, but what are the top two that stand out from our conversation? Yeah, um, I would say uh, number one is uh, having a top-down uh, executive vision, uh, but also visible involvement, right? So it is not just announcement of an intent, but uh, uh, a C-suite engagement uh, in driving the visible change to becoming more data-driven. And what I mean by that is that supporting culture change, driving culture change, leading by example while making decisions, um, establishing mechanisms uh, to 
to create that data-driven culture uh, and support that decision-making around the uh, organization. I think that's number one. Uh, and then the number two is, um, I know you started out with democratization of data, um, and I, I love the phrase. Um, I think it's really focusing on uh, is data enabling you to democratize the action, right? It's not just about having access or democratize access to data, but uh, do you have processes uh, and products built in that allow frontline uh, folks to really take action based on that data? So it's really democratization of action, not just access. That's great. Great point. Ishit, thank you for joining the discussion and sharing your experience. You know, the nuggets that you've shared address the why and the how of how enterprises can and should democratize their data. Well, that's today's episode. Um, thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. Catch all of the Ahead of the Pack episodes by visiting us on cio.com slash podcast slash ahead of the pack, or by finding us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For IDG and AWS, I'm Tim Crawford with Avoa. This podcast has been produced by IDG Communications in association with its sponsor, AWS.